Welcome back to the Planet Jesus Podcast, the show for skeptics and Christians who want to learn more about the Bible and understand better how to interpret and apply it. This is Episode 17, Good Cretans. In today's lesson, the Apostle Paul, speaking to believers in Crete, describes how humble obedience and love can influence those around us. He explains how Christ followers should behave out in the world, respond to the issues of the day, and support rulers and authorities, even if you didn't vote for them. And now, Rob Massey. We don't have to worry about what's going on, but we do have to be considerate of something. We've had plenty of messages, and if you're listening to YouTube right now or watching live streams, a lot of pastors are talking about living a kind of life that uh, would be in trust of God, that he is able to help in times of need. And so uh, my thought here would be that I would like to see not just this, what I think is a minimal approach to serving God is that we just trust that he is and that he's going to take care of us. That's minimal. What really exemplifies that trust is how we behave in our everyday life out of the community. Uh, The things that we do, the things that we become caught up in, um, attitudes towards others, that kind of stuff. And particularly at times of stress, it can bleed over into our actions, some some negativity. I heard a guy say one time, he says, we don't know what's in the cup until you're bumped. Uh, you know, is it orange juice or is it hot coffee? And so what is it in our character and in our faith? We might not always know what's what our faith, how rich it is until we're bumped and we've had an opportunity to respond. And then people can see that. And it's not just people in the community. The people of God, Paul is writing some stuff and I want to go into it. And that is the people of God are not just responsible to have good behaviors and take good action towards people in the church, but also outside the church. So to that end, we're going to look at some verses here in Titus, the third chapter. I haven't been in Titus in a good minute, so I thought maybe we would mix it up here. You could look at Titus, the third chapter. Let's just read real quick the first 11 verses. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So I just wanted to stop there and say what Paul is dealing with, and he's writing to Titus, 
And Titus is considering the Cretan island of Crete and the people and the Christians on Crete and how they're, they're doing. So it's interesting that he's telling these Christians to watch their behaviors uh, relative to the government officials, to each other, to others. He even uses the phrase, to all people, in the end of the second verse. This is what Paul is after. And really, everything that Paul writes is an expression of how we should be as the people of God in a world that is partially renewed because of new creation and a world that is not renewed yet. Because there's a part of this world, and we see it every day. We see it through coronavirus. We see it through violence and wars and all of the stuff that we see. We see that there's this potential for evil that still exists in the world. Yet, we're claiming that God is on the throne and that everything's is going in the right direction. So Paul is trying to get the Christians to understand how to live in a world that is still partially unregenerated and still partially broken and a world that is being renewed and made new. And so with that in mind, we go back to the instruction that he's given to his Christian followers there in Crete. He's telling Titus to remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. The rulers and authorities together there means basically all official powers. That word submissive there is to accept authority through appropriate attitudes and actions. We're not submissive if we don't do what we're asked to do and we don't behave in the way that we're supposed to behave. Now, I know we're pretty independent people here in the United States and we're not used to having our rights suppressed or controlled. And certainly, if a power or a government began to start to leverage their position, we can certainly cry out against that because that is our right to state. We've been given that right in this country to cry out against those things, and we should. But we can also remember that this is the Roman Empire that Paul is talking about here. These guys were not Sunday school leaders. These were not ex-Presbyterians like the Bushes. These guys were ruthless, bloodthirsty, power-hungry men. And when he's saying to show them submission, to submit to their authority, and then he adds this, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. I think that's, that's heavy for me to listen to. Because I think to myself, man, if, if Caesar was uh, the ruler of the United States, would I really allow him to, his political enemies to be crucified on, on, along a Roman road? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't allow that. Uh, I can't imagine Pennsylvania Avenue lined up with the bodies of uh, people who were insurrectionists or traitors. Yet, here what Paul is talking about to them is that we're to be submissive and obedient, ready for every good work. Now, this phrase here, good work, has already been used once in the book of Titus. And let's go and look at that in the first chapter in the 10th verse. We're going to start in the 10th verse. The word doesn't happen until or occur until the 16th verse, but we're going to read what's going on here. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. 
One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for good works. So here he's telling the Christians that are in Crete not to follow these Cretan leaders, these Christian leaders in Crete that are seem to have a something wrong in their spirit. They're teaching things for their own personal gain. They're upsetting families, probably talking about circumcision. If, if it's the, the circumcision party, they're probably talking about giving them laws or aesthetic laws for you know, purity. And they're really, they are making themselves unfit for any good work. They were probably making themselves a real stink in the nation. And the leaders were probably going, what, who are these new guys? Who are these Christians? Is it a, is it a religious group? Uh, well, yeah, I guess they got a religion, but they don't have a temple. What well, what is it? A family? Is it a particular tribe of people on the earth? No, no, they're pretty much cross cultural, cross family. There was no way to really. Uh, is it a political party? No, it was nothing that they could put their finger on. So when they were looking at the behaviors, they were judging the entire group by the behaviors of a few. And so Paul is encouraging them to be submissive, to be obedient to the authorities, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. See, now we might think, oh, well, I never talk about anybody in the church, but those daggum heathens, those homosexuals, those blah, 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 fill in the blank, those Republicans or those Democrats, and we can fill our time speaking evil about people. And it says, don't speak evil of anyone or speak evil of no one. And then they, he encourages them to avoid quarreling. A positive way of saying that is be peaceable. I mean, there's a lot of quarreling that goes on. All you have to do is after you're done watching this, flip out under your news feed or, or your, your Facebook feed and see all the quarreling that's going on. And that is not, it does not engender the new creation when we quarrel. He said, avoid quarreling and be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Gentle and courteous toward all people. You know, that is something that I am convinced that when people truly trust God, when they truly believe that God is their caregiver, they're not going to make a run on the market. They're not going to empty the shelves of toilet paper or milk or bread. They're going to leave some for all people. And they're going to trust, truly trust, that God will make it grow. God will make it spread. The people who didn't trust that God was going to provide manna every day, they took more than what they, they needed. And when they filled their canisters with manna, and they took more than what they needed for the day, what happened? It bred worms. It rotted. And we've got to be careful that during a time like this, when we're feeling fearful, that we don't run to that kind of 
perspective or that kind of an attitude. Because really it means, no, I have got to get while the getting's good. That's a religious philosophy, right? That's a, that's a philosophy that we could live by, get while the getting's good. You know, he that dies with the most toys wins. That's, that is a way of living in this world. But it's not the way of the new creation. The new creation is gentle and courteous, perfect courtesy, it says in the end of the second verse, toward all people. That includes all those authorities, all those powers, uh, all your neighbors. For we ourselves were once. Now notice this time. Paul is going to bind two different time periods in this little passage. Keep an eye on it. We were once you could say once upon a time, foolish, disobedient. See, that's opposite to obedience. That's what the Cretans were. They were disobedient. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. That's the end of the 16th verse. So disobedient. We were led astray, and according to these Cretan teachers, they were leading others astray. And that's kind of what Jesus was saying over there in Matthew, the 15th chapter, when he says, leave those Pharisees alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they'll all fall in the ditch. And we've got to be, as Christian people, we have to have a sense of clarity about what God has told us and what he hasn't. And we've got to be careful to examine ourselves because we can be led astray and we can easily lead others astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. Now, the words passions and pleasures in the Greek are not necessarily negative terms. You can have a passion for Christ. You can have a, you know, you can have good love and desire for uh, another. But this passions and pleasures, this is insatiable, abnormal desires. And apparently, these Cretans, their, their bellies could never be full. You know, I think it's interesting that the curse on the serpent is on your belly you shall go and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Because Eve was reaching for the tree, the forbidden tree, and she was eating it and she thought it was going to make her wise and it was going to enlighten her. And in reality, what it did is it revealed where her appetites were being driven from. Just like these Cretans, they're always liar, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Their belly was their driving motivation. And so we've got to make sure that our passions and pleasures are not insatiable or abnormal. They've got to be in balance and so that the community looks at us and go, you know what? That's a moderate people. They're not going to tell our modesty because we're clean shaven and we wear uh, you know, white shirts and we, our women wear dresses. That's not how modesty is depicted. In not, not in this world today. Modesty and moderation are depicted in the way we live our daily life, the way we consume, the way we purchase, the, the things that we give our attention to. Be on social media, but be on social media just the time that you need to. Don't be on it all day long. Don't spend eight hours. If you're looking at your phone and you see, oh my God, my uh, I can look at how much time I spend on all these different applications. Man, if that is, if it's not productivity applications, 75%, and then social media, 25%, if it's the opposite of that, then try working on that. Now that was for free. You guys don't have to do that if you don't want to. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying, be balanced. Be moderate in your life. A moderate person 
is going to just come off more balanced. They're going to come off as not being extreme in any direction. And when we're talking about external authorities and powers, when we're talking about people that are still part of an unregenerated world that we're having to cohabitate with on this planet, we need to make sure that we are representing the moderate life of a moderate God. Okay, passing our days in malice, which is another word. We think of malice in one way in the English language, but whenever malice is used in a list of vices, it means wickedness. So living our days in wickedness and envy. Envy is the mental outworking of dissatisfaction. And how many of us, I, I find myself every day going, oh, I want to do this, or I want to do that, or I want one or more of those, or I want two more of those. I'm never satisfied. And then if I see my neighbor with the thing that I wanted, then all of a sudden I'm scratching my head going, God, it's envy that begins to creep out when it's really bad. In, being envious is one thing, but when you take action with those internal thoughts, it becomes hatred. Notice the next words, hated by others and hating one another. See, the world that is dying is an unregenerated world, and it's characterized by hatred of one another. Where the kingdom that Christ is building, this new, renewing creation, the new creation, is one that is uh, characterized by love. Hating one another. Now look at verse 4. But when... So there's your other time. But when, so once, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Man, we could, we could have just said those three words. He saved us. The power of God to reach out and act on our behalf to save us. That is powerful, man. He saved us. Not, notice this qualifier, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Now he's starting to use Abrahamic language, you know, justification, righteousness, not by works done by us in righteousness, but where does this salvation come from? It's according to his own mercy. So God is acting unilaterally initially, to save us. And then he gives us something. Notice this. How does he save us? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, that's how he saves us, is by the washing. In the Greek, and, it, and they, they try to do it in the English, that word washing is the act that leads to regeneration and renewal. It's not like there's three different things. It's not like there's a washing, a regeneration, and a renewal. This is not like three phases of salvation or something like that. This is like there is a washing, and that washing brings about renewal and regeneration. And when we talk about regeneration, we're talking about this whole planet. Remember what Paul says over in Romans in the 8th chapter, later on middle section, when he says the whole creation is groaning and waiting for the sons of God to be displayed. He, they're waiting on humanity to be renewed. And when humanity is renewed, the earth will be renewed. This is a regeneration 
a recreation of this world and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit baptism is the means that renewal, that that washing occurs. And it, it begins regeneration. That's why Paul can say to him, once we were, but now when the Holy Spirit comes, we were not able to live this kind of dynamic new life previously. Oh, we could follow rules and regulations. We could have all the appearance of holiness, but inwardly we could be full of dead men's bones, as Jesus says in Matthew 23. But it's by the Holy Spirit. It's by Holy Spirit baptism that something now happens to us. Something now happens to us through the Holy Spirit. And notice this, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is like in Joel 3. In the latter days, I will pour out my spirit upon all men, all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And and even upon your handmaidens will I pour out my spirit. It's also in Ezekiel. Ezekiel talks about the pouring out. I will, I will renew. He, he actually says, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and I will pour out my spirit upon them. Very important connections there. So the spirit is like water that is poured out as if you were you know, going to be washed. And so the Holy Spirit is that washing. Don't get, don't get this tied up with, say, water baptism. Water baptism doesn't make anybody clean. Water baptism is just an outward manifestation of what has already occurred on the inside. And then he says, richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Become heirs. Again, that's language from Abraham. It's like we are, this is the covenant of Abraham that has been now brought in through Jesus Christ. Remember what he says? God promised Abraham in in Genesis, the 12th chapter, that in thee and in thy seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. We were expected, the, the, the nations of the world would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. Paul later on, I believe it is in Galatians, the third chapter says, yeah, God talked to Abraham and said that through his seed, uh, all the nations of the world would be blessed. But he didn't mean seed as in the plural version of seed, but he meant seed in the singular version, which is Jesus Christ. He was the seed of Abraham by whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's why we say that the Holy Spirit was poured out on us through Jesus Christ. The the covenant made with Abraham was finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection and his pouring out of his spirit on all flesh. So when God promised Abraham all these territories that says, look to the east and to the north and to the south and to the west, and these are the areas, the territories that you will inherit as a people, through Jesus Christ, that is taken to a cosmic scale, a global, a universal scale, where every piece of territory is God's territory. And every man, woman, and child, though they're not the direct descendants of Abraham, become the seeds of Abraham. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew, the eighth chapter, isn't it? When he says, many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at table, and the children of Abraham will be cast out. 
And I'm not saying that the Jews are cast out. I'm just saying those that rejected him at that time were cast out. Jews are just as open to come into the kingdom as Gentiles. We became heirs. Now, what is the responsibility? If every place that you look, when you walk out your front door and you look as far as you can see, if you go up to the mountains and you look as far as you can see, go up to the Rockies and and see this far as you can see, and God says you're heirs of all of that. If we're heirs of that, then we're responsible for it. We're responsible for the, the care of others and this planet. We have got to take action for others when they can't take action for themselves. When the ungodly, when the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing, the psalmist says in Psalms 2 when he was talking about the coming Messiah, the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing, what, what can we do about that? We insert ourselves into the world because we are heirs of this world. And as heirs, we're responsible. But we're not like these high and lofty power leaders, people who own large tracts of land, or people who are governors and rulers and really the powerful of the world that have control and sway over mass territory. They do that from position power. But the kingdom of God is subversive in that It is done through love. It's done through influence. It's done through inspiration. When we begin to influence the world in this position of weakness, from a position of vulnerability, that's the true manifestation of the kingdom of God. When we can live in this world, take responsibility for this world, that's why we should never wag a finger, oh, well, this world is all that and this and that. And, and diminish them and criticize them and speak evil of them. We can't do that. We are responsible for them. As soon as we find somebody who's misbehaving in our workplace, our schools, we ought to be there subverting them with love. We need to subvert that and then convert that because once they're washed and renewed, all of that once foolishness, once all of that, that, that once upon a time thing goes away, and it's now when. Now when. That, this is our time for new creation, for regeneration. And we do that through love. We do that through serving one another. And he just, this concluding in this section, it says in the eighth verse, so that those who have believed in God may be careful. I'll tell you, sometimes it requires carefulness from me because I want to use position power, or I want to be uh, strong with somebody. But be careful to devote yourself to good works. And good works goes right back to this thing about being submissive and obedient to authorities and to serving others in love and doing all the opposite things. You could just go and look up all of these words. The opposite of quarreling would be peaceable. The opposite of disobedience would be obedience. The opposite of foolishness would be wise. The opposite of a slave to passion and pleasures would be moderation. The opposite of malice would be righteousness. Of envy would be, I don't know, I'm just thinking all these words off the cuff, but maybe the opposite of envy might be generosity. Instead of being worried about about not having, what about giving? So those are just things that are characteristic of the kingdom of God, and those are the good works that we should be involved in. These are excellent 
and profitable for people, Paul finishes that verse with. In today's busy world, time is valuable, and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some time listening to the Planet Jesus podcast. The show notes for this and all episodes, as well as links to any source material, can be found at our website, planetjesus.net. Become a part of the conversation on Facebook, at Planet Jesus Podcast, and on Twitter, at Planet Jesus and the number two. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with a friend. We would also value your honest rating and review. If you'd like to help defer some of the costs, please visit our Patreon account at patreon.com slash planetjesus. The Planet Jesus Podcast is a production of Rob Massey and edited by me, David L. White.